This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. What's up? Hey, Kyle. Hey, Jen. Hey. Hey, let me just ask this question for you real quick, okay? If you had to guess, what is a strange hobby that I picked up over the summer <laughs> that doesn't fit my brand at all? You're a part of the World Wrestling Federation. No, but that would be... Listen, if you're out there, Vince McMahon, if you're listening, call me the bishop. Oh. <laughs> Captain Bapti, you already have uh, a pro wrestler name. Captain Bapti would work. My, my, my signature move could be the prayer bench. <laughs> it's called the anxious bench. Oh, no, that, that works Get too. anxious. Get anxious. Uh, no, what... I, I picked up a hobby this summer. I have not, I don't think I've disclosed it to you both. And I, I'm participating in it weekly. I hiked a mountain. That's not what this is. Yoga. And that, is it yoga? It's not yoga. No. You're in the right space though. Really? Pilates. <laughs> oh my goodness. And no, no I don't want I photo it. evidence. No. No. Sit, <laughs> not. sit and be fit with Karen. No. Nope. <laughs> Aerobics. It's ballet. What? No. No, I'm don't, kidding. Don't, yeah. <laughs> Boxing. What? Boxing. Like, and Muay Thai. What the heck is Muay Thai? It's basically It's kickboxing. a drink that you have in Cancun. <laughs> oh, no, that's a Mai Tai. <laughs> I've picked it up, and I got to tell you this, guys. I'm loving it. Really? How? What do you like about it? It's uh, violent. No, I'm not a violent person. It's just a different kind of workout. I've never done anything like it. It it kind of involves your mind a little bit. Like you got to be thinking, you got to be responding. It's different. I don't know. It's been so fun. Like where, did I you get an Instagram ad or something? Like how did you find no, this? But, no, but I'll tell you, I am a sucker for the promoted ads. Like they got me nailed. Okay, <laughs> the Instagram ads do. But I'll say this. I joined a gym coming out of COVID because like then I could go back to the gym. And uh -huh. it turns out the gym offered classes like boxing and these kind of kickboxing, Muay Thai, jujitsu classes. I was like, I don't know if I'd really want to do that. So I tried and it was a lot of fun. Hmm. Have you ever boxed? Surely you are addressing JT right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking you in particular. <laughs> I just spar verbally. Yeah, well, and 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 you have a very strong winning record, undefeated. Uh, uh, JT, have you ever boxed? I've never like boxed a person. I used to when I was in college. We just do the punching bags, whatever they were okay. called, the yep. speed bag. That was fun. Yep. I had a guy teach me how to do that. I got okay at that, but it's been fifteen years. Okay. Well, I, I think I just want to be clear to the Knowing Faith audience. I'm not throwing down a gauntlet. It's not an open challenge. No, but that you know? would be great. I mean, I feel like at least the Patreon people should get to have that. Wait, for JT and I to box? Oh, I don't care who you box. <laughs> Were you wanting to box him, Jen? Actually, let me think of some people I do want you to box. Who do I want punched? <laughs> hey, let me can think I, about can that. I, I, I'll keep this story to 60 seconds or less, but I, I don't know. If, have I told you guys the, the church planting boxing story yet? No. no. Okay, I'll keep this short. I was no, at Dallas Seminary. Go. Okay, part of a church plant. And there's a there's a radio station in Dallas uh, that is heavily emphasize, emphasizes sports. And every year, I don't know if they do it anymore, they used to have what was called a fight night. And they would pair people who would call in on the radio 
in, in boxing matches. <laughs> and I'm a part of this church plant. And the guy, the pastor, he's the lead pastor, the preaching pastor, is trying to get word out. And they, they used to host this event at the Village Apartments. I mean, Kyle, this is right, wow. right in your neighborhood. Oh, yeah. And like thousands of people would show up to watch total amateurs box. <laughs> the, past, the pastor calls in because they're like, we need a pastor. We want a pastor to box. And he's like thinking this is a good PR strategy for his church. He calls in. And they put him on, and it's supposed to be pastor versus the atheist. Oh so, no! Yeah, oh, bad. <laughs> yeah, so the atheist and the and and this guy that I know, the pastor, show up and have a boxing match in the village apartments with all these young Dallas, you know, kind of yuppie workers. Like we're all twenty four years old watching this atheist and this pastor box, and I am not telling you. I mean, you. I, I'm not lying when I tell you, the pastor was knocked out cold in about ten <laughs> seconds. Oh, oh gosh! <laughs> I mean, he just took one on the jaw. His jaw, he just said like this slack jaw, and he was out. Like he just went down like a sack of potatoes. Kyle, could you oh, imagine my. one of the first things you did as the pastor of Mosaic, getting in a boxing match and losing in glorious fashion? Yeah, I can tell you that I made a lot of mistakes. That was not one of them. <laughs> that was not one of them. That's kind of a that's kind of a reverse Mount Carmel, isn't it? Yeah, like, right. <laughs> 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 like he's like I'm with God and, yeah. and God's like nah bro Are not you? today yeah. the commentator today. was like oh man he lasted for 12 seconds and another guy said yeah one for each disciple I mean they were just they were just roasted <laughs> well yeah well that is not in my future for anybody and including the Patreon community love you Patreon folks but you're not gonna get a boxing match with me uh, but I might verbally spar with Jen if she'll allow it uh, mm, so I will uh, today you don't want none of this. <laughs> Today, we're reading Romans 1, 16 through 17. And uh, Jen, you read last time. JT, you want to read it for us this time? Yeah. 1, 16 to 17. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Excellent. Thank you, brother. So if you missed the first two episodes, we did the first on the season trailer that kind of teased the season. We talked a lot about the historical context around Paul's letter to the church in Rome. It's written to the church in Rome. It's arriving there AD 55 to 58, probably. It's definitely written by the apostle Paul. The church is comprised of Jews and Gentiles. The church was probably started by Jewish Christians uh, and they were exiled. Roman Christians took over the leadership. Jewish Christians have now come back in when this letter is arriving and they're now trying to figure out how do we live together in the life of this church and follow in the obedience of faith. And Paul is trying to provide instruction to him. And as Jen mentioned at the end of last episode, he means it for encouragement. Mm -hmm. He intends, he's given us the frame of reference. He's given us a picture of his heart as it pertains to this letter, why he wrote it, and to the church in Rome. He hasn't been there, but he longs to go and he certainly loves them. So that's that's what's going on. Uh, last episode, we talked about the backstory of the Apostle Paul, about who he was, his religious credentials, his conversion story, and how his greeting begins to tell us a little bit about what the letter's about. And today, we're focusing on verses 16 and 17, which is basically the thesis statement of the letter. So, Jen, what's a thesis statement? I love this question. Many of you know that I do not have formal theological training, but what I do have is an English degree. 
And it is to my great sorrow that in the schools today, we are not taught how to write the way that we were back in the day. So I'm becoming a cranky old person around this. But Paul, Paul knew what was up. Oh, wait, just a, cra- a cranky old person about this or just generally? Oh, I mean, sure. I, I, I'm cranky about other things, but for the <laughs> okay. purposes of this episode, let's just limit it to the proper use of a thesis statement followed up by Fair supporting enough. points. Okay, so a thesis statement is where you basically show all your cards. You tell everybody, this is why we're here. This is the main point. And then you spend the rest of your time in persuasive writing, showing people why the main point is the main point. And so it is widely agreed upon that Romans 1, 16 and 17 comprise the thesis statement, the big idea that Paul is going to expand on in the rest of the letter. And and so he, he he comes right out of the gate for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now he's already mentioned mm-hmm. the gospel, but like he, he mentioned that right at the beginning, right? Verse one of Romans one, Paul, servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And now he's going to say in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So mm-hmm. clearly a part of Paul's agenda for this letter, a key part of his thesis statement is the gospel. So let's just start there. What is the gospel? Well, he's he's already addressed part of this uh, in verse, we talked about this in our last episode, verses three and four, the, that this is the, the, the gospel, ultimately the gospel of God, which was promised beforehand through prophets, the Holy Scriptures, concerning the son of David, concerning the son of God. So the gospel is centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ, who God is and what God is doing through Jesus in order to liberate, save, and reconcile a people to himself. And this is key for Paul and Romans, for his glory, that God is doing this for his name's sake, that his name would not be besmirched or mocked among the nations, but he's doing it to bring glory to himself. Yeah, that's, I think that's really good. Why Why does he say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Is, well, isn't that a weird caveat? Like, I mean, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts too. I'll just, I'll give mine quickly. Um, I'm not sure we've understood the gospel message until we understood that it is also a shame, could be a shame-filled, shameful message. And by that, what I mean is, is you think of like the first century inscriptions, uh, like in Roman prisons and walls of them making fun of Christians of, um, um, the, remember there's that, that slave worshiping his God and it's a, it's a donkey on a cross. Like what we're saying when we confess the gospel is that a first century Jewish man from Northern Gallery is God himself, that he was sent by God the Father to redeem us of our sins, to save us from our sins. He was he lived a perfect life, was buried, rose three days from rose three days later from the tomb, and is now living in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, and we worship him as Lord. Mm. If you're in the first century Rome, and you're perhaps participating in Stoic philosophy or Aristotelian philosophy or the Socratic method, or uh, just you're a, you're a Roman citizen, not even interested in philosophy, that is a shameful message, right? Like that, that is the, the very thing. Paul kind of walks through this also in 1 Corinthians when he's dealing with uh, Jewish and Greek worldviews as, as well there. He says it is it is this weak gospel that is the power of God to save. And here Paul is saying it's, it, he's not using the term weak; he's using the term shame. But he's not ashamed of it because it is the thing that takes shame away. But but I think sometimes in a in a twenty first century uh, American evangelical context, we can forget the very weakness of this message that is meant to also be powerful. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. No, I think that I think that's a huge part of what's. Uh, I think that it's a huge part of what's going on here. I think attached to that, the word Paul uses for ashamed here is episkuname, which is basically the Greek word. It, it carries with it this connotation of like. Uh, of uh, physical suffering, like suffering might yes. accommodate this. Yep, for so sure. there's a, when he says like, Hey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's saying, listen, I'm not hesitant to bear witness about the gospel, even if it's really costly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like even if it's really tough and a trial and difficult, even if it costs me something, I'm not willing to do that. So I think there's the shame component that's there. Uh, the, the mockery that certainly Paul would have been familiar with. At well, and this that's point. exactly what ends up happening to him. A few years yeah. after he writes this, he ends up in Rome. Uh, I'm actually preaching mm-hmm. on second Timothy chapter four this week. And he's saying, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Like the, yeah. mm-hmm. the shame that he is unashamed of the fear of suffering the, or the lack of fear of suffering is something that actually is about to happen to him in a few years from writing these words. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think too about, and I, I couldn't find the quote, but it's the quote uh, uh, from the earliest years of the of the new church where they're regarded as a religion of women and slaves. You know, like mm-hmm. Christianity is the is the religion of women and slaves. In other words, it's it's the religion of the weak and the and the last and the least, and not in a like, oh, isn't that wonderful way? But in a like, that's ridiculous. The gods of Rome, the gods of Greece, are uh, the gods of people with the upper hand. And so, um, to align yourself with Christianity was to place yourself outside of the confines that society wanted you to be in. But it was also to be derided because what the good news is saying. Um, is that all are equal at the foot of the cross. And this is not a popular idea in Greco-Roman culture. Yeah, because, that's and that's a, that's a great place to go on to the next thing, which is, he says, it is the power of God, mm-hmm. for it is the power of God, for salvation to everyone, everyone. who believes. Everyone, mm-hmm. So there you go. You've got it equalized right there. So let's kind of back up and just talk about the power of God. So Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, even though it could be very costly for him, even even though he could be marked by shame instead of honor, and he certainly could be hurt instead of helped because of his bearing witness about the gospel. But here he says, no, the gospel is something I'm not ashamed of because it's the power of God for salvation. What could what could he possibly mean in saying that the power of God for salvation? Yeah, so I mean, the gospel itself is something that happened two thousand years ago, but that same power is alive and effective today, specifically through its proclamation. That we believe that when the gospel is proclaimed, that God is just as powerful today to act and save us. So one of the ways that, or one of the commentators I read who who kind of was trying to tease this idea out basically said, it isn't just that the gospel was effective then, but that the gospel is effective now. The preaching of the word does not merely make salvation possible. And we should probably talk about that for a second. The preaching mm-hmm. of, the gospel, of, of the word does not merely make salvation possible, but it actually effects salvation. To those who are called, and so, yeah, let's, and so let's let's talk about that, JT, because that is going to be a distinction we're going to need for the rest of the book. Yeah. So when we talk about what Jesus accomplished for us two thousand years ago, and think about that sentence I just used, "accomplished" is is important. Jesus does not make our salvation possible; he makes our salvation actual. We are not the the ones who are uh, make our uh, salvation effective when we believe. Now, belief is absolutely required. How, how, how will they know unless they believe? We have, to, we have to hear and we have to respond through faith, which is the gift of God through grace that we receive. But it's really important for us to also know that, um, I'm not sure if you want to get into like atonement theory here. We might want to save that for a bit. No, but I do think that what we can talk about is the effectual call of salvation. 
Yeah, so God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all active in the work of salvation. God the Father sends the Son. God the Son accomplishes salvation for us on the cross, doesn't make it possible. And God the Holy Spirit effects and applies that that gospel into our lives, that we weren't sitting back kind of self-actualizing, waiting to see if we had a good idea about the gospel and then God saves us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins and God effectually, effect is, is an important word there, it affects us, like something happens to us, not us to something else and we are saved. Yeah, and that effectual call accompanies the actual proclamation hearing of the gospel. Yeah, in God's wisdom, sovereignty, and providence, he has declared and ordained that this is his method of salvation. God the Father sending God the Son, God the Son accomplishing salvation, God the Holy Spirit effecting and applying that work through the proclamation of the gospel, through the gift of grace, through faith, when we believe. Yeah, Yeah, if you think about um, the words of the hymn, he breaks the power of canceled sin, he sets the prisoner free. The act of salvation is an act of power. And I don't think we always reflect on that, that it's not simply um, that God exercises his power on our behalf, but that he breaks the power that we were living under. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's what the good news is doing for us is it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not simply being transferred, as we sometimes will say, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We are forcibly placed from one kingdom into another as an act of God's power. And that is exactly what the word salvation here is carrying with it. So this word here, when he says it's the power of God for salvation, this word here, Paul's use of the word salvation is always of spiritual deliverance. Always. Mm -hmm. So, and deliverance is that what you're talking about. It's that removal. It's not just like a door is opened, Mm -hmm. you know? It's like a door is opened. Hey, if you want life, you go that way. No, it's this deliverance. It's deliverance from what? Well, it's salvation from the just judgment of God. It's deliverance from God's just judgment against sin to mm-hmm. fellowship with God. It's deliverance from the terror of shame, which Paul's going to talk about. And it's deliverance to freedom in God's world. It's deliverance from the evil powers of the world. And it's deliverance to participation in God's kingdom. Salvation as Paul talks about it here, is spiritual deliverance for everyone who believes. Here, when I hear these words, I I think about Moses and the Old Testament archetype of our salvation, right? Moses is not ashamed to stand before Pharaoh. Um, And then God delivered, he says, I delivered you from Egypt with mighty acts. You know, it's it's, it's, it's a powerful display of, of God's ability to take them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And I think that we're seeing that, um, that type come to its fulfillment in the work of Christ. And so Paul is, is channeling those ideas here. He's saying this is um, the, the power of the gospel um, is the fullest expression of what we saw um, in those stories that are familiar to Israel's history, where God exercises a miraculous power to deliver his people from bondage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Salvation to everyone who believes. And even though the salvation is exclusive to the power of God uh, in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is a very exclusive, you can only be saved by this God whom has brought the gospel, this God who is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Yahweh. It's exclusive, but it's radically inclusive in a way that is unlike anything else mm-hmm. anybody in the church in Rome knows because it's for everyone who believes. Mm-hmm. So it's, there's no privileged position there. So I think that's really important that this is, hey, it, the, the gospel is the power of God for salvation 
to everyone who believes. That's why it's the answer for the desire that we feel to be delivered because it's available to everyone. It's available to anyone. It's not just for uh, this kind of Roman citizen or this kind of Jewish believer. It doesn't matter where you come from. The gospel is available to you. Paul goes on. And it kind of goes on when he says, when he, so when he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, hold on. That kind of feels like a rec- record scratch, doesn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> like he just said the gospel uh, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So that kind of feels like a, well, hold on. Why are we now doing like this Jew first Greek thing? Like, yeah. why is it a hierarchy? Are, what is that? Exactly, right? Is somebody get priority? Is there a division? Is Paul encouraging that division? So why would Paul say this? Because it kind of just feels like, hold on, are you kind of pulling back what you just put out there? Are you kind of pulling your punches? Why, why would he say this? I've heard two primary reasons for it, and I, and I don't think that they're competing. I think that these could both be reasonable, and maybe there's even more reasons for it. The first is, is this was one of Paul's primary missiological strategies. When he right. would go into a city, he would go to the synagogue first, the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. And so I think that's a really reasonable explanation. That, And this is also what we, we talked about this in our last episode, that that's likely what was also going on in Rome, that the Jews had come to faith in Christ first, and then it its way to the Greeks. And so this was uh, either a missiological strategy and or just what was happening. The gospel was going to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. But in addition to that, you could also argue that this is a story of redemptive history, that right. the, the, the gospel went first to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This good news, Galatians chapter three, that was proclaimed to Abraham beforehand. He believed and it was credited him as righteousness that is now supposed to go to, as which was promised to Abraham, to all nations, specifically Greeks. So I think I think both are reasonable. But one might be more true than the other, but I think both are at play here. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think it's important. I think he's setting them up, obviously, because he's going to get into, he's going to ask the question, is it better to be a Jewish, he's basically going to say, is it better to be a Jewish Christian than a, than a Greek Christian? And he's got he's to address that because they're going to try to pull in. All, and, and you know what? Uh, I don't want to get ahead of us. I'll, I'll save it. Okay. I got I'm a hot take, but I'm going to sit on it. This is me with self-control, everyone. <laughs> wow. Well, so I, I, I want to, um, uh, before before we take a break, I, I, I want to answer this question because we, we often use this word. We just kind of like throw it out there and we, we don't talk about it a lot. And I think sometimes it can just, we can go blind to it. So if the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, what is belief? Like maybe somebody's listening to this podcast. And they're going, do I believe? Mm. Or they're at, or or they've been exploring the gospel, and so, or somebody sent this to them, or they just heard it, and they're going, okay, so tell me, how do I believe? What is belief? What does that actually mean? Is there JT? Have you found ways to talk about this with people when they're when they're asking you, what does it mean to believe here? To believe the gospel, do you feel like have been helpful? Yeah, but but it's really important here that we maybe think about belief or faith in a, think of like a multifaceted diamond and every facet of the diamond helps characterize that diamond by beauty. And so faith and belief is a beautiful thing that isn't simply one faceted. Of course, one of the most important facets of belief is intellectual assent. That doesn't mean academic assent. That doesn't mean believing in a doctrinal statement. It means being able to say and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. I am a sinner and he has come to die and save me that we would confess 
confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts that Jesus Christ is God and King. And so there's intellectual assent. But as we've talked about on this podcast before, faith, I think, and belief can include this, this whole vision of life, not just mental assent, which includes giving your whole self away to Jesus as king. We've talked about the term allegiance before, that that Jesus demands that he that, that we give him allegiance because of his kingship. Now, I also want to emphasize that what we said, what I just said first about intellectual assent, that does not mean that you need to have a certain intellectual capability in order to believe. We're not saved by getting doctrinal statements right, nor are we saved by rational capacity. We're saved by grace through faith. And so for those those brothers and sisters that don't have the same mental capacities that others have or perhaps die in infancy, they're not outside the reach of God's salvation. It's really important here that we make sure we're not talking about faith is not what makes salvation actual. What Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection is what makes salvation actual. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think faith is agree like assent. Sometimes I'll talk about belief or faith is agreement, right? That's the assent part part of it. It's mm-hmm. like it's our convictions, it's our belief. Faith is affections, mm-hmm. like it's our yeah, worship. It's, it's it's our heart, and faith is our allegiance. Mm-hmm. So think about head, heart, hands, or That's thinking really about good, belief, worship, obedience. That when we're thinking about what it means to believe the gospel or to place faith in God, the God of the gospel, it means that we're giving our whole self, and that includes our agreement, it includes our affections, and it includes our allegiance. And I like that. certainly when Paul talks about the life of faith, the rest of Romans, it's going to involve all those things. Because the church in Rome, they know some of these things already, and Paul's trying to move them towards allegiance to them, mm-hmm. to obedience to them. Uh, so, And uh, sometimes you'll hear this talked about as like gospel indicatives and gospel imperatives. Like Paul kind of tells you who you are and then he, then he tells you what to do. He, he does, you see it a little bit in Romans. It's not as clear as it is in like Ephesians or Colossians, but where the first 11 chapters of Romans are this kind of unfolding of the gospel. There's a doxological conclusion. And then in Romans 12, it gets into like a strong kind of ethical perspective on, on, on the Christian life. So I do think you see all of those dimensions with faith and belief. But I think your note, JT, about the effectual call of salvation and what makes faith act- or what makes salvation actually actualized is the work of God. That's faith right. is, um, the old theologian called it faith, faith called faith, the instrument of our salvation. He, he said it draws everything from the work of Christ and contributes nothing to it. Mm-hmm. The That's instrumentality good. of faith mm-hmm. is that it is receptive. It's open hands, but it's not seizing of the gift. It's the posture. It's, it's God opening our hands to receive what God is going to give us. That's right. That's really it's good. not going to quench his ability to give it. I would add to that, I mean, you know, the author of Hebrews, we don't know who he is. I don't think or it's he, Paul, just FYI. Yeah, who they are. Uh, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's the way the NIV says it. And so mm. I think that's a good distinguishing marker for the difference between the belief of the Christian and the belief of the demons, right? It's mm-hmm. a confidence and it's an assurance. Um, so it's a, it's an it's a, an, an orienting of ourselves that is, wholly different than the orienting of the one who believes conceptually or believes um, strictly from a knowledge base, but not from a gut level. That's good. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? 
In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. What bridge is God calling you to cross that the gospel might go forth among the nations? Women like Lilius Trotter, Harriet Newell, and Sarah Hall Boardman Judson have indeed crossed their own bridges to get to the lost. Discover the stories of 10 inspiring female missionaries who changed the world for Christ. 10 Women Who Changed the World is seminary president Daniel Aiken's powerful tribute to these women who fulfilled the Great Commission. May we all follow in their footsteps. 10 Women Who Changed the World is available wherever books are sold. So in the next verse, it says that the gospel has revealed the righteousness of God. Now, this phrase is a big one. It's a big deal. <laughs> uh, we, could do, we, could, we could do two seasons of a podcast that just covers the literature around this phrase. Uh, that's how expansive it is. So I want, I want to be clear. There are times on this show where we're definitely having to, we're having to summarize this is one of those, there's going to be a lot of those in Romans. I just want to be clear. This is one of those times where we're going to get to talk about this a little bit. We'll certainly, we'll talk about it in other episodes because righteousness is a core, it's in the thesis statement for a reason. It's a core concept that Paul is going to unfold through the letter. But I just want to tell you, if you think this is all that we're about to say about the righteousness of God, you're wrong. So don't tweet at us and be like, have you read these 15 articles about... <laughs> Uh, this other take on the right. Yes, we are reading them. We are researching them. All of us are preaching and teaching through Romans. So we're working on it, but we're going to talk a little bit about it right now. It, it says in verse 17, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we got to just talk about what does the phrase righteousness of God mean? Does anybody want to start? I know we all want to weigh in, but I've got stuff, but I, I don't always want to just answer the go question. Go ahead, Kyle. You can, you can go first. You're always so nice to let someone else go first. Go ahead, jump yeah, in. Yeah, you, you go first, Kyle. Jump in. Mm -hmm. Good luck. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 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 let, me, let, me, let, me cite, let me cite who I'm indebted to on, on my perspective on this phrase, because it's important. I am extremely indebted to Doug Moo, mm -hmm. who is a Paul scholar, a Roman scholar, and a Galatians scholar in particular. And I just want to be really clear Whatever you're about to hear me say, I am standing on Doug Moo's shoulders. I've read a lot of the literature on this phrase, and he's the one that I feel like he lands in a really great place on this phrase. Basically, there have been three perspectives 
on what the central meaning of this phrase is, and I'll outline them for you here. The first perspective, that this phrase really is talking about the righteous standing that God gives. You might think about this perspective as thinking of the righteousness of God as God's gracious source of salvation. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, his gracious source of salvation. If the gospel is revealing the righteousness of God, it's revealing God's gracious source of salvation is righteousness. If you're looking for a place to tie these concepts, you're going to find plenty of them in Romans. But let me give you one that gets mentioned all the time. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake God made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There, There you're getting Paul telling you, you can almost speak of salvation as you you weren't righteous, God took your, Jesus took your unrighteousness. He gave you his righteousness. So that's Mm -hmm. one perspective on this phrase. Righteousness from God is the righteous standing that God gives in Jesus in the atonement. Uh, It's his source of salvation. The the second perspective uh, on this, and all of these are, we've talked about sometimes what's within the camp. Mm -hmm. All of these are within the camp. I just want to be real clear as I'm outlining them. I'm not going to spoil it for you at the end and be like, now this one is heretical. They're not. The second perspective is uh, that this righteousness of God is the perfect character of God that we are to imitate. It's making a character statement. You might think about this as righteousness as the standard of God. Righteousness as his perfect character. The gospel has demonstrated his perfect character. And if you're looking for other places of scriptural support, you can think about places that talk about the vindication of Jesus' righteousness, or of God's righteousness, that when uh, Christ uh, rose from the dead, he vindicated the righteousness of God in that he held true to God's promises. He was faithful. He claimed to be God. He claimed that he was going to defeat death and overthrow it. And he did that. He he wasn't lying. So this is the righteousness of God. It's perfect character of God that we are to imitate. It's his righteousness is God's standard. The, The third perspective on this phrase is righteousness of God should be understood as meaning God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. God's faithfulness to his covenant covenant promises. God has been faithful in the Mm -hmm. gospel to all of his promises to Israel. You might think about this as if righteousness of God uh, uh, has been source of salvation or it's a standard. This is more about righteousness as his covenant keeping character. Righteousness, he did not lie. The promises he made to Israel, he fulfilled and he fulfilled them in the gospel. This relies heavily on Old Testament conceptions of righteousness that invoke righteousness as, as, a, as a designator primarily to talk about covenant fidelity or covenant keeping. So those are the three dominant perspectives. And, and there are people that will argue and that are arguing who I spilled a lot of ink to say that only one of these can be true. And Doug Moo says, there's no reason we have to think that. Paul, Paul is a synthesizer. He's talking to an audience for which he needs to synthesize these concepts. It can't not be, it cannot be categorically one or the other. He's not speaking just to Jews who would have understood a lot of the faithfulness to covenant promises. He's not speaking merely to Gentiles who would have un- had maybe more of a legal and forensic understanding of the concept of righteousness. He's speaking to this audience, and because of that, we should understand that all three perspectives can be held together as adequate expressions of what it means when Paul uses the phrase righteousness of God. I'm a big fan of Doug in this. Mm-hmm. I want all three. Do you think that when it occurs in varying contexts throughout the book of Romans, that it might carry a greater emphasis of one aspect of these or another, given the context that we read it in? Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So just to, well, I mean, just we're all to on of, the same page here, guys. But like, just to boil it down, like to sort of a, a, a maybe a, a shorter way of saying what you just talked about, and you talked about it really well, Kyle. So I'm not digging on you. So the first, the first explanation would be one related to justification that we're talking about imputed righteousness from Christ. The second one could fairly be related to sanctification, right? That not only are we imputed with Christ's righteousness, but the righteousness of God is also our example as we walk the Christian path, right? And then the third one would just be related to the general faithfulness of God to all generations. Would that be a shorthand for how we could understand the three different views? Yeah, and I think if you really wanted to, if you wanted to keep it within doctrine of salvation, you could say that the third one is an assurance of our future glorification. Right. I wanted to, in but that, I was afraid that was too neat and clean. No, 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 no. In that, in that, God who has kept His promises, covenant promises so far, will keep right. the, co- the promises He's made. He's like everything to that He the said, He can. Yep. Exactly. Right, and isn't this a little bit of what Paul says in uh, uh, with the the groaning, like like basically like when he talks about suffering mm-hmm. and some of the tri- the uh, the trials and afflictions of the life of a believer walking in God's holy way, mm-hmm. uh, who has been justified by God's righteousness. He appeals like God is going to do this. Like mm-hmm. the earth is groaning for the redemption of the sons of glory. This is going to happen. He's done it already. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We have an assurance of doing that. So I think you could tie it there. It's not as neat as the first two, but yeah. it's. I think it's there. Yeah. What, what about this? I'm trying to come up with my own formulation of this. By the way, Kyle, that was a great summary. And yeah. Jen, also a great summary. First one. So again, we're trying to define the righteousness of God. First mm-hmm. one, God declares us right. Yep. Second one, God is what is right. Yep. Third, God does what is right. I think I think you could do that. I think with the second one, you would just want to make sure that the, the the literature around that is emphasizing that it's it is who he is, but it's who he expects us to be. Yeah, it's a subjective. So, like the way to get technical, it's a subjective genitive. He is the one who is the righteousness that yeah. we are it should be modeled. But yeah. yes, so God declares us right. God is what is right, and we should be too. Yeah. Number three, God does what is right. Yeah. Uh, question. I'm now thinking in Trinitarian and economic uh-huh. Trinity categories. Do we see here the idea it. that he initiates, he accomplishes, and he applies? Could you say those are the three things we're looking at? So God yeah. lays out the, you know, the, the righteousness from God is the plan from start to finish. Mm-hmm. It, is, it is accomplished uh, through Christ and applied through the Spirit. Yep. Yeah, you would reverse the perspectives that we've just listed. Right. But you, you start you, with the you, third one. You'd start with the third one, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I think, and here's the deal. We know this is something that I think gets overlooked in discussing how to interpret Paul. When Paul wants, like Paul is a master of clarity. Paul will sometimes make up words by slamming two Greek words together because there's not even a word for what Paul wants to say. <laughs> like, like Paul does stuff like that because he, when he wants to be granular and specific, he will do something that's unconventional to make it happen. So, so the kind of so like the crackle fat, back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna follow that trail too far. Okay, um, okay. But I, I. So I think. I think when Paul leaves like this, like the single verse open, he's not trying to leave us guessing. No. I think he does this because he is trying to capture and communicate a multi-sided definition of the righteousness of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's he's not a dummy. 
He is a master of clarity. And when he leaves this open space for us, I think he's inviting us to realize, listen, it's multidimensional. And it's going to have a lot of expressions. And you're right, Jen, there are parts of Romans where it certainly seems like the emphasis is on one of these three Mm -hmm. perspectives. But at no point, I think, does Paul deny that any of these perspectives are crucial. And I think more than that, I think he affirms all throughout the letter and the way he discusses righteousness and justification, which we will get to, he gives plenty of room to see this is exactly what he means. Well, and he I means think, all of these things at the same time. Yeah, and I think too, one of my big concerns with studying a book like Romans is that it can feel uh, Gnostic to the listener. It can feel like you have to have... What does Gnostic have, mean? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so funny. Like, I was just about to say what it means, JT, uh, <laughs> that you have to have special knowledge that you can't be someone who has a degree in English only, you know, that you have mm-hmm. to have. Uh, and, and so when I read that phrase... I'm allowed to encounter it. Like I think that in in the earlier stages of my understanding of the scriptures, I would have encountered it as imputed righteousness. Like that's how I would have read it. And that you can do plenty of good work in this book with just that vantage point on what he's saying. But then coming back to it again or growing in your understanding of the righteousness of God means that as you return to these texts, as you meditate on them, that you're going to grow, that they become more expansive in the way that you might apply them. And so I I think what I want to assure our listeners, we're going to get into some passages in Romans that are going to feel really hard just to read, much less to understand and apply. And um, and you don't need special, there is, a, there is a plain meaning that you can draw from the book of Romans, which is plenty for you to chew on. Uh, but if you return to it again and again, I think you will find that it, it deepens and expands. And so um, I just don't want listeners to think, like, honestly, as we're having these conversations, as it's been in other conversations that we've had, the three of us are discovering things in these conversations as we're having them with one another that are going to help us with our understanding of the book. And you're allowed to start somewhere and then and then move from that place. Yeah, that's good. So Paul has given us in his thesis statement, he's given us gospel. He's given us power of God, salvation, belief. He's talked about the righteousness of God. And then he concludes here, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed... From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And now faith is one of the last big words in this thesis statement that is going to be crucial for understanding much of what Paul says in the letter to the He's going to have a lot to say about faith. Mm-hmm. So he quotes from the prophet Habakkuk, right? The righteous shall live by faith. So we've talked a little bit about belief and faith but what would it mean? What is Paul trying to get us to see here? If, the God, if, if this righteousness of God that's revealed is from faith to, some translations say faith from first to last. Mm-hmm. Some say by faith from first to last. Some say from faith to, to faith, from faith for faith. Uh, what's Paul trying to communicate is the impact, so to speak, of this revelation of the righteousness of God through the gospel. Uh, First, I just want to point out to our listeners again that what Kyle has just done is give you a really good basic Bible literacy building tool that is a gift to those of us who live in this day and age. And that is, you can go to Bible Hub and pull up this verse in different translations Mm -hmm. and you can compare the way it's been translated. And as we were putting together the study that we're going to do at my church over Romans 
um, we use the ESV as our jumping off point. It's just the the translation the church has used for a long, long time. Um, but particularly in the book of Romans, looking at other translations has been a huge help in trying to formulate what is being gotten at. Um, and so I would just say, if you're a listener and you're following along in your copy of the text, as I would encourage you also to do, uh, keep keep those other translations handy if you are like, I don't know what's going on here and read three or four different ones. Read uh, New English Translation, the CSB, um, uh, the um, NIV, ESV. If you compare just those major translations alone, you're usually gonna get some clarity on this. So kudos to Kyle for the Bible literacy thing there. And then in light of that, um, this faith, faith, faith stuff, what I would say is what I see emerging is just, hey, this is all faith from beginning to end that this is a matter of, of faith. Mm-hmm. Fair? Yeah. I think that that's got, that's the main impact here is that the reception of this, the impact of it, how we respond to it is belief. It is faith. It's that agreement. It's that affection. It's that allegiance. Uh, I, I like that, uh, what you brought in with Hebrews, Jen, now I want to add assurance to that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yes, I, I think that that's what it is. He's telling us now, what do we do in response to it? We place our faith in this God who has revealed it and accomplished it. I think. What do you think, JT? I don't know if I would add anything. I think that's really good. I like what you said, Jen, that the entirety of the Christian life is by grace through faith uh, in Christ. But but I also would want to, just as Kyle mentioned a moment ago, that faith also includes faithfulness, like us, mm-hmm. yeah, us mm-hmm. committing ourselves to the God who's been faithful to us first. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a state of being, but it's also doing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I know we're talking about Romans, but I just have to ask as we end things, who do you think wrote Hebrews? What's your what's your current um, theory? I don't know that I have a hot take on this. Oh my I, gosh. I think it's Apollos. Boom, there you go. You do? Sure. Oh, nothing, JT? Uh, I'm looking something up. I read, I read an article recently. I'm just making sure I get it right before I say it. Uh, <laughs> because I'm an Enneagram one and I'm thinking repressed. I've got to make sure somebody else said it before I did. Uh I think I think I think it was Luke. Luke. They, a lot of people say Luke, don't they? That's who I think it is now. Yeah. Yeah. After we st- spent time in um, in Acts, in particular, I was like, man, this sounds a lot like Hebrews. So I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't have like a. I'm, I'm not bought into the conversation. But I, anytime I would hear someone say, "Oh, it's not Paul. It's somebody else," I'd be like, "Come on, it's just Paul. We just can't say it because he didn't sign the letter." But then I'm like, "No, maybe not." So it's fascinating to me that those conversations exist. And then I actually yeah, have an opinion on one. So yeah, there's been a few few books out recently on the Luke and authorship of Hebrews. That's, really, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Huh? Okay. Interesting. Sorry, totally off topic. Yeah, I'm probably wrong. Uh, <laughs> I think it was the Holy Spirit. Thank you, JT. In our next episode, we're going to examine the story of brokenness in uh, the rest of Romans one, and uh, uh, it will be. I, I really believe next episode will be one of the more important episodes of Knowing Faith we've done. So I hope you'll listen to it. We want to thank our sponsor, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If the next step in your service to Christ and his church is additional theological training, please register today to attend Southern Seminary's preview day on October 15th. For just $25, Southern will cover two nights of lodging as well as all your meals on preview day. Reserve your spot now by going to sbts.edu slash preview. And I would really encourage you to do that. Don't miss our new podcast, The Family Discipleship Podcast. It's out wherever you can get your podcasts. You can find Knowing Faith and The Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or you can check us out on patreon.com slash knowing faith. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace.